Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. Away we go. Here we are with episode number 27 of the Principles of Performance podcast. I am your host, Eric Degatti, along with my friend and colleague, Mike Perry. Mike, how are you today? I am well. How are you today, Eric? You doing all right? I'm doing great. Super excited about who we have on today. He's an old friend that that I'm really looking forward to talk to because he has gone on to do some really tremendous things in this industry. Vince Gabriel. Um, he's been a pioneer in, you know, for the last 20 plus years in fitness. Um, graduated from Temple University, where he's a star football player um, and a business major there. Uh, and then he went into personal training out in San Diego at a place called Fitness Quest. Uh, where he quickly became sought after by a bunch of NFL athletes and founded their their football and NFL combine prep programs. Um, and then he came to New Jersey with his lovely wife, Vanessa, um, to start Gabriel Fitness and Performance back in 2007. Um, their success was off the charts and it drew the attention of a lot of other gym owners, myself included. Um, so he started helping grow their business uh, using his gym as a blueprint. And I can tell you that was right around the time when I still had my facility. So it was awesome that we met around that time and Vince would come in and work with some of my staff on, on some of that uh, business development side. And then I would go and work with some of his staff on, on the training side. And uh, he's also graduated the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business program. Uh, and now he's a business coach over a hundred gyms all over the world with 19 of them doing seven figures. Now I will clarify Vince is not the guy, Mike, who you get like three friend requests a day from who's like 21 years old and says he's going to give you six figures and, you know, 28 clients in three days. Uh, he's not that guy. Um, but he's also the host of the second ranked fitness business podcast in the world. Um, he speaks at top fitness conferences every year, including Perform Better, Mind Body Bold, Idea. And he's authored over 10 books on sales, marketing, and business building. And uh, I'm honored to have him on the show and, and even more so to have him as a friend. Vince, welcome. Well, a guy with a bio that long must have a huge ego. So I'm very excited uh, to be here today. Uh, I have some fact checking for you, Eric. Um, uh, on my bio, one, I never graduated from Temple University. I only played football there. Um, and the second uh, fact check was you said I was a star football player. Um, my claim to fame is a 455 pound bench press and a blown out labrum. So there you go. That qualifies now. That's more than it's further than me and Mike went. I can give you that much. Well, I, I mean, I think the, the initial bio sounds way more impressive than the bench press and the torn labrum, but whatever. Maybe we, that's the Cliff Notes version, right? Very good. Very good. I was uh I was I was a I was a very sound backup offensive lineman at Temple University. So no, thanks for having me. I uh, love you guys. I still look at Eric, the seminar I went to at your gym way back in the day. Uh, was, you know, I've done, you know, 
my life is business now, but I did a ton of uh, personal training certs and I did FMS level two at your facility. And it was the best fitness workshop I ever went to. And I still have my notebook from that. I still remember things from that. It was, it was outstanding. So made a mark on, on my career and, and GFPs as well as we brought you in so many times to work with our staff and everything like that. So appreciate you guys having me on. Awesome. Thank wow, you. Eric, Eric actually did something pretty good. Eric, you didn't tell me about this. Like I, I thought, you know, you were just, uh, you know, hanging out down at um, FMS headquarters, just, you know, sleeping on the turf. That's it. Just, yeah. Every once in a while I'll do a leg race. Excellent. So, uh, so Vince, tell us about your story and how you evolved from personal training to a gym owner and to everything that you're doing now. So, um, it goes way back, uh, to sixth grade where I got the, the nickname bounce back Vinny and, um, wasn't in a positive light. The way I got the nickname was running into the blocking sled and then getting bounced back 10 yards and rolling over three times, hence the name bounce back. Uh, but the real, uh, quest in fitness for me started in sixth grade when I was a sixth grader that was too heavy to play on the sixth grade team and too heavy to play on the seventh grade team. And then also too heavy to play on the eighth grade team as a sixth grader. And so I had to lose 30 pounds as a sixth grader to be able to play, make weight on the eighth grade team. Just kind of shows you where I was at and the type of shape I was in as a kid. So that was my first quest. So I started, my mom was guiding my fitness program who never worked out a day in her life. And she says, here, I went to Weight Watchers once and they gave me these pills, take these pills and you won't eat as much. And then jog around the block. I heard jogging is helpful for weight loss. And that was my introduction to the fitness industry. I ended up losing the weight. I ended up making weight on that sixth grade team. Uh, obviously, you know, I got a little better as time went on and, uh, I played football at Temple, but my real, um, entry into the fitness industry happened when I finished at Temple, I was about 300 pounds I think 200, 296 was the, the heaviest I ever saw. Uh, but I'm sure I was a couple of cheesesteaks over 300, but anyway, it was, took me about three to four months to go from. 296 pounds to about 215 pounds. And that was when I was reading all the magazines and all the books. And I got certified uh, with the ISSA. You guys remember Dr. Fred Hatfield, Eric, you're, you're an old Absolute, dog. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Right? Like, so you remember him? Dr. Squad himself. Dr. Squad. Um, and so, you know, got my first certification. I moved to San Diego and like, you know, you read in the bio, uh, I got a job at Fitness Quest 10 and, and started training all kinds of people there at professional athletes, um, young kids, adults, and kind of got my feet wet in the fitness industry, worked for five years. And literally that was like the grind mode of my life. Right. So it was like the, every personal trainer listening to this knows what it feels like to wake up in the morning, train one person at 5 a.m., <laughs> then have nobody till 8 p.m. 
<laughs> and have two sessions a day and then fill the gaps. It took me the next five years to fill the gaps in between that 5 a.m. client and the 8 p.m. client. Um, and I did that and then did well out there. And then I moved to, um, but that's that's essentially the story that got me into the fitness industry. It was really honestly my own weight loss quest. My whole family is all business people. My dad was a financial advisor. My sisters are all like, they all work in New York City. And I just didn't like, I saw that commute. I'm from New Jersey and the commute from like New Jersey, the suburbs into New York is one of the most dreadful existences on the planet. And I saw that and it's just like, I don't care if I've like literally have to eat pork and beans my entire life. I don't want to go into the city every day and put that suit on and, you know, just, I just didn't want to do it. And I told my dad that I was going to, I was like, I don't want to do it, dad. And I even majored in business because I thought I was going to do something like that. And um, I was like, I want to be a trainer. And he kind of looked at me and sighed and patted the top of my head and said, well, son, if you're going to be a personal trainer and you want to have a family someday, you might need to learn some business skills. And he left it at that. He wasn't like, he didn't like say, he wasn't like, you, you're crazy, kid. Like he probably should have said, you're freaking crazy, dude. Like you can come in the city with me and make a bunch of money. And like, you're going to go work for $25 an hour, right? As a trainer. Um, and he didn't, he kind of just, like he always did. He never really, uh, you know, he just said like a very few words, but the words he said were pretty impactful. It's like, well, you should probably learn some business skills if you're going to be a personal trainer. And it kind of like just stuck in my mind and stayed with me for a while. And it's now I went from being a personal trainer to starting my own business. Right. So that was the first stage of it. And then, you know, after that, after running my own gym, I've started, you know, I own four companies now. So I'm essentially, I guess you consider me an entrepreneur. Um, but that was kind of the start of it. And it was so it wasn't like I come from this background of fitness. I always am envious of like Joe DeFranco, who's like who grew up in the gym, like his dad was like working out. Like I never saw my dad work out one day ever. Not once. The only time. No, I did see him work out once. He bought one of those TV infomercial products and he would go down in the basement. He would do it one for a day and then it would never be seen again. Um, so it was like I was I was never around fitness. My parents were never in fitness. They weren't athletes. My sisters weren't athletes. So it was kind of like, I'm kind of like a little bit of a black sheep um, in the family, but that's, um, that's the story of me getting into fitness industry, if that makes sense. You know, it's funny. We're all parents and uh, you know, I, I joke with, with, with people in the industry that no one uh, as a parent has their kid come to them and say, Hey, I'm going to be a personal trainer. And then they turn to their spouse and say, honey, we're set. This is what the, the this what we've been waiting on. We're going to be taken care of um, by our trainer, son or daughter. Um, so talking about like what trainers aspire to be. And Mike and I have had this discussion um, and kind of, you know, analyzing the industry. And we, we, you know, we've kind of boiled it down to three things that we see a lot of young trainers kind of aspire to be. Uh, one is they want to open up their own facility. They think that's kind of the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is that I'm going to work for this gym now, but someday I'll have my own place. 
two is that they want to work with high profile clients, whether it's big money clients or professional athletes, and they see the, the sizzle of that. And I can put that on my social media and that's going to give me instant validation and or three is that I want to do, you know, where I can be the person on stage and teaching a workshop and selling classes and traveling around the world. And fortunately, all three of us has got have gotten to do all three of those things. But it, it's it's not always that pot of gold and that rainbow that people think it is. But there are certainly some some bonuses to that. So if you could speak to kind of those pathways that are there in our industry and what some of maybe the shortcomings may be of those things, as well as the benefits of those things. Yeah, so uh, the first one, obviously, I know uh, really well, and I love that. I love that path. It's the path that I've chosen, and I chose myself, and it's the path that I help guide people on. So I'm all for that. Um, And I do think that there is a lot of problems with it. and, And the problems come, the shortcomings come when trainers treat their business like a trainer. And they make decisions like a trainer when they think like a trainer. And I think you almost have to think about when you sign the lease that there is this un um, there is this unseen ceremony, right? Where someone comes down from the fitness gods and takes your trainer hat off and puts a business hat on. And it's what needs to happen to be successful. And the reality of it is, um, if you don't put that hat on, you still can be successful and you can still make an impact. Um, but the one thing you won't get, which is the biggest fruit of owning a business, is freedom, right? And that's the biggest thing that that owning a business will provide for you is freedom. Uh, of time, freedom of money, um, and with freedom of time and money gives you freedom um, with relationships and connects you with the right people. Um, so all that. So I think that, that the biggest advice I have for people is you have to learn business skills. Like it's a different skill set. Like Eric, I was, you know, when I was going to your workshops and seminars, I was picking up skills um, to help people, you know, move better to help people train more effectively. Right. And after a while I was like, okay, now my job is to get my staff to continue to learn those skills that you were teaching about moving better in fitness. And my job is now to help grow this business. And in order to do that, there were specific skills that I had to learn. I had to learn how to market the gym. I had to learn how to sell and create processes around sales. I had to learn how to operate the business profitably and to look at the dreaded financial statements, right? I mean, I spent uh, two weeks ago, I I was in California and I spent um, four days with uh, 23 gyms from all around the country. And we looked at profit and loss statements and solved business problems based on the numbers and what the numbers say. And, and the reality of it is the numbers are the truth teller for your business. If you want reality, you speak in terms of data and numbers. If you want emotion, you speak in terms of feelings. And 
I feel like when you don't have the knowledge base of running a business, you run your business strictly on emotion. And it's a really hard way to live. Um, and guys will come to me all the time and I'll say, yeah, things going. And they'll say, I feel like things are going really good. I feel like the clients are really happy. I feel like our marketing is working really well. And they'll tell me how they feel. And I was like, okay, good. Well, now that you told me how you feel, why don't you tell me how your business is actually doing? Right? Because the only way you can really tell that is what is, so the data is the truth teller for the business. And I think that that's a piece of it. That's a piece that a lot of um, business owners struggle with. They struggle with that part of it. They struggle with the hiring and the recruiting part of it. Um, the one part that most of them own and they own really well is the training, right? And while that is good and you can have a, a successful business um, if you just have a good product, that that is not what is going to provide you the fruit of being an entrepreneur or being a business owner. Because essentially you just give yourself, you know, a high paying job. But then you also have the stress of all the other things that you have to do. Right. So at one point it's like, at what point is it worth it? Right. To do it versus I like to say, like, let's learn this stuff. It's skills. I mean, here's the thing. I'm, I'm the, probably the least intelligent person on this call by far. Right. And honestly, most calls I am, I have just, been really good at acquiring skills. It is not from my, I was an offensive lineman at Temple University. Like, it's like, you, dude, can't be that sharp, right? Um, but I've just just dedicated to learning. And I think one of the things that helped, I, was, I read the book, the E-Myth, Mike Boyle, who I know you guys are connected with, is a mentor of mine, has um, been hugely influential for us. Um, but he had me read the E-Myth before I started my business. And that kind of got me to think about business as, all right, I know that there's a road of being a technician the entire time. And I know that road usually leads to burnout. And so I don't want to go down that road. And so I very early on, I said, okay, all right, I'm going to learn this i'm going to find a way to get this thing to run without me having to be there all the time so i think that's that's really it is like if you're going to do it and it's not for everyone it's not easy right there's a lot that you have to to manage there's uh, a lot that you have to tolerate um sometimes you get paid for the things that you tolerate but if you're going to do it you have to acquire a new set of skills you, you, you can't rely on running a business with your ability to coach a Bulgarian split squad. You have to rely on your ability to know the mechanics of business. And it's not, it, it, it's not um, that much different, right? Running a gym, running a restaurant, running a bakery. It's all mechanics of business. And it's all skill sets that can easily be learned. Um, I will say this, and to kind of, lead into point number two um which eric you're gonna have to remind me what the second one was <laughs> um as i'm on this rant um tony robbins said that the the, the number one chokehold on a business is the psychology of the owner and so there is a point in time where you can learn business skills and you can learn marketing you can sales but 
at the end of the day, everything's got to be filtered through your mind and your brain. And there's decisions that you have to make every day. So the number one thing you need to do is protect your head, protect your own emotions. Um, I, I say that the most important relation business relationship people have is their relationship with their significant other. All right. So I look at my relationship with my wife, Vanessa, who I met in California and we've, you know, been started the gym, been together for, you know, just celebrated a 15 year anniversary. Right. But I look at that relationship as my most important relationship in business because that relationship when that is really strong and really good. My mind is on a really positive level and I can make great decisions and things are going well. So I, I think that, that, that if you're going to go down that road, you have to learn the business skills and you have to protect your head in order for you to make good decisions because that decisions and the decisions you make shape where you are today. You make better decisions, you'll be more successful. You make crappy decisions, you'll be less successful. So very cool. I, I think Jay Z said it well when he said, "I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man." Yeah, yeah, that's right? good. Hold so on. Um, the second part was training the high profile clients. And Mike, you and I have talked about this. We actually had this discussion, I think, with Tony Gentilcore on on the podcast, is kind of talking about the glorification of yes, it's very cool to stand. You know, Mike stands next to the guy who's fighting on ESPN that Saturday for me to be able to say yes, I I worked with this NFL team for nine years and and those sorts of things. But from a business perspective, that's really fleeting. Um, and that sizzle kind of comes and go very quickly when you look at the numbers of what that actually puts in the cash drawer. Yeah. So I've a decent amount of experience with this. When I was at fitness quest, um, this was like 2006 and there was a running back named Ladanian Tomlinson. who it's like, when I was talking about this 10 years ago, you know, everyone knew who he was. And then now he's like, he's retired. So not as many people know. Right. I mean, but he's still like one of the first ballot hall of famer. Um, and LaDainian Tomlinson is another guy by the name of Drew Brees, who was a quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. And in 2006, they were both training at this gym I was working at. I wasn't training them directly. I did work with both of them, but I was like the backup trainer. So when Durkin was out, I would fill in, right? But it was cool, right? Um, and um, you would think that people would find out that LT and Drew Brees are training at this gym in San Diego that is in a shopping center that any kid can go to. And you would think that that would be like incredible. And every person in the world would be fleeting towards that gym to train. Like a 13-year-old quarterback from San Diego, California is like, Drew Brees is training at the gym down the street from me, right? And you would think, right, that that would just flood that gym. And I saw... It was almost interesting, right? I saw like almost a decline in the amount of youth athletes that were coming to the business over the five years that we started training more professional athletes. And the reality of it is it's not mutually exclusive, right? It's not like all of a sudden if you get these pro athletes that you're going to explode your business. That's what a lot of people think. Like, I just got to get this one pro and this one person and everyone. It does improve your credibility in the industry. Right, for sure. Like, so I think it helped Todd 
immensely like his credibility in the industry that he's Drew Brees' personal trainer and LTs for like it was huge for but it wasn't necessarily uh, a business builder on a local level which was which very surprising so and I spent a lot of time working with pro athletes I had a pretty good I was like I wouldn't call it B level um NFL guys they were pretty good players um you know that I was that I was working it wasn't like the A like LT and Drew Brees but I had like a really good core group of NFL players that I was working with and it was cool and it was fun. It was exciting. And I like, they would get me tickets to games and I'd be able to go to the family tent and all this stuff. And it was really, really cool, but I still got paid 2750 to train an NFL all pro defensive lineman. So it didn't make me any more money. The thing it gave me was, Couple tickets, cool stuff, good stories, but it didn't like feed my family. And that's kind of, I was like, I saw that and I was just like, okay, I see this going on. And the pro athletes are cool, it's exciting, but I'm like, I did it and it was fun, but now I want to make some money and provide a life for myself and my family and go into business. So I moved back to New Jersey and everyone's like, you're going to work with the giants. You're going to work with the jets. And I said, I don't want anything to do with the giants or the jets. If Eli Manning comes to me and wants to train, I'm going to say, no, I don't care. I don't want the distraction. I don't want it. And I chose to go all in on focusing on the young kids in that community the 10 year olds, the 11 year olds, the 12 year olds, the 13 year old kids that needed help, that needed support, that needed guidance, the 45 year old moms, the 45 year old dads. I said, this is my, who I'm working with. And I made that conscious decision because I felt like the pro athletes, I mean, I would spend two hours training the pro athlete, another two hours doing his programming, another two hours learning about a new band exercise to help this guy. It's like six hours in, I made 2750 and I got a couple tickets from it versus I can create a business around this market that honestly probably needs me. And, and the other, the other thing I have to say is, and Eric, you probably help help more people in this realm because I know you've worked with people hand in hand, but how much was I really, like I was training a guy named Luis Castillo, who's a defensive tackle for the Chargers. Like how much was I really helping him? He was going to his own workouts at San Diego to go with the Chargers. Then he would come to me for an hour and I would do some, strap some bands on him and we do some band fire outs and then stretch him out. Like how much was I really, really helping that guy? Like would he have been an all pro if I wasn't working with him? A hundred percent. So I probably wasn't making that much of an impact in that guy's life versus I can train a 12 year old kid. But we'll, I mean, look at my daughter. I mean, Erica, like my daughter was struggling. She had back pain. She was 10, when Eric started with us, she was like 10 years old. And I was like, Eric, I sent him a video. She, she can't plank without her back hurting. And I'm just like, we now, like I sent him videos. She's like banging out pushups. And she's strong and she deadlifted the other day, the 106 pound kettlebell. I just told these guys before. And it's like, her life is different because of the confidence that she got from training. And so, yes, 
the pro athletes bring you glory. And in some lights, they can bring you a lot of credibility and authority in your industry. So I do, there is that. But if you want to grow a business and make as much money and make as much impact as possible, um, man, just focus on the people directly in your community that will come to you two and three days a week that will pay you 12 months out of the year and not pay you in tickets and, hey, I, you should be happy that you're working with me. <laughs> you should be paying me. <laughs> you should be paying me. Why do I need to pay you type of exchange? Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. So, you know, the pandemic hit and... <clears throat> Due to the pandemic, we saw a lot of veterans of the fitness industry decide, you know what, like I'm done, I'm packing up, I'm leaving. And because of that, a lot of great minds left, but it also created an opportunity for younger coaches and beginners to come in and learn. If you had a, a room full of beginners, what would you, what advice would you give those beginners uh, as far as how to build their coaching career? So a couple of ways, I think that, um, the first thing is, I think that there's an invaluable um, lesson in, in apprenticeship. And I look at it like when I started, I worked as an intern and then worked as a trainer under someone else. And that gave me the time and um, ability to learn as much as I could about the craft. And I think a lot of guys are coming out and they're coming out and these young and they want to open up businesses right away. And I do have some people that do that. And I don't think it's wrong for some people, but I love to see people just geek out for a certain period of time on the craft, because at the end of the day, you know, yeah, you got to be good at business, but it's like, no one continues to go to a restaurant if the food sucks. Right. So you have to, all the business stuff I teach has a caveat and the caveat is you can be really, really good at marketing, but if you're not good at training and you're not getting results with clients, you're kind of trying to fill a leaking bucket. Right. And so I do think that there's trainers that start out and they, they run businesses and they start businesses and they're not very good. And then they hire people that also aren't very good and they don't have the ability to make them good because they're not good. So I really think that it's about honing your craft and finding people, Mike, like you and Eric, you know, to learn this stuff from, to get certified, you know, and go through the good certifications, the boils of the world, right? And again, it's nothing against the CSCS, but like, is it really helping you to learn the NSCA code of ethics? Like, is that really valuable for you to train a 13-year-old kid? I don't know. But I look at what you guys are doing. I, I look at some of the other certifications that are very real world based. Um, and you should be taking up those opportunities and not almost putting the pressure on yourself to have to like 
pay for a lease and have the risk of all this stuff is like, go work for someone else. And, and yeah, you're not going to make as much money in the beginning, but you're going to be able to start uh, creating your own concepts and your own ideas and your own philosophies from all the things that you're learning. I don't think that you just copy what someone else is doing, but I think you learn. I mean, my education and my training philosophy is a combination of what I learned from you, Eric, what I learned from Mike Boyle, what I learned from Pavel when I got certified at RKC, uh, what I learned from Charles Poliquin, right? It was like all these different people that you learn from over the years and you develop, end up developing your own philosophy. So that's kind of the advice I have is you, you have to be good at what you do. But then there's a level of how good do you really need to be to have a very good business. And I think some people get to that level and they're like 90% good. And that extra 10% is like probably not going to make any difference in their life. But they spend all that time going, trying to go from 90% to 100%. When they, what they do is once you get to that 90%, you're probably good. Now your time is best spent helping other people get to that 90% um, from there. So that's what I would say for the younger um, people. And if you're going to go into business, you know, like I said before, you got to learn business skills. So learn as much as you can, develop your own philosophy on how to successfully train somebody and then learn business skills so you can actually make a living in the business. Something you said there, I'm going to jump in. It really resonated with me. And you talk about trying to fill a leaking bucket because I used to use a, a similar analogy with my staff and they would say, well, I need to get busier. You need to feed me clients. And I would take out a piece of paper and I would roll it up into a cylinder. And I said, I could feed all the people in through the top that you want, but if you can't seal off the bottom and you can keep these people, because most of your real money, and Mike, you can attest to this as a facility owner, is in retention, is in those clients you have. And I've had clients, certain clients for 15, 20 years, right? So if you can't make that cylinder into a cone where, yeah, some are going to leak out the bottom that just weren't you know, made for what we do, or they weren't this, we weren't the right fit for them, or it wasn't at the right time in their life for us. But if they just keep leaking at the bottom, I don't care how good your click funnel marketing strategy is, if you suck when they show up. Yep, definitely. Yep, can't fill a leaking bucket. Absolutely. So let's kind of transition a little bit and talk about Gabriel Fitness. Um, you know, you've built a great staff over the years and, um, you know, some of them um, have gone on to uh, success in other ventures. Um, when you're bringing someone on your team, what are you looking for in a hire? Um, so the the first thing is, um, is there's a very core set of values, right, that we have. And while I'm going them through, I wrote a book called the 364 hiring method. And it's about the process that you go through when you hire a trainer. And the entire time they're going through the process, um, matching them up with the values that we have. And what I look for is over the period of time that we're hiring them, do they match up, right? And the story I tell is, um, and Eric, you, you, you know, big Tom, so yeah, big Tom, absolutely. Was my, great guy. 
so Big Tom was the first hire I had. And, and it's interesting you say people that have moved on. And so I, I have about six men in my life that I tell I love you. Okay. Good friends, old buddies from Temple, people that you have a genuine love for. Um, Big Tom is one of them. The, the, love the guy. So he opened his own gym. And a lot of people, and honestly, not that far from me. And I am the biggest fan of Big Tom. And I want him to be massively successful. And I think that that's um, an important thing for people to look at. It's like a lot of people say, oh, if you leave me, you're dead, you know, to me. And, you know, he left. He opened up his own company. He's doing well. I'm supporting him. Um, he still helps me out with stuff. And so it's a good, strong relationship. Um, but when I, the originally, uh, when I was hiring him, there's a story of big Tom. And then there was another guy that, um, was a, a much more experienced coach than Tom. He was much more intelligent than Tom. Um, he knew he, he had, pretty much if you look at it from a trainer standpoint, he had many, many assets and big Tom had almost none. When you look at a personal trainer on paper, but big Tom had this one intangible big Tom. When I say big Tom, he's big, he's six foot nine. Right. And he had this ability to connect with people well better than anyone I had interviewed and well better than this other person. Right. And on paper, it was like, how do you not pick this one person that's got experience? They were like certified from um, at the time it was athletes performance, but EXO certified that, that kind of person. And kind of like, I didn't really know what I was doing back then. Right. In terms of hiring, but I just had this feeling that the business I wanted to create was going to be built on relationships and not built on the knowledge that I had or the staff members that I had, right? It was going to be built on relationships. And I knew that Big Tom was the guy that was going to be able to carry that forward. And what happened was he had myself and then the second in Tom, and then we were so alike, right, that we started to find people that ended up being like us, that were relationship driven. And that's what, and Eric, you worked with our whole staff for many years. And you saw that a lot of the guys were cut from the same cloth. They were good people. They didn't always come in as the best trainers. They came in as great human beings. And we taught them what they needed to know to be a successful trainer. And a lot of times being a successful trainer is not what you know about programming and not what you know about injury prevention. It's can you connect with people? And the, the, the litmus test is, is the 45 year old mom driving to the gym at 6am. Does she want to spend an hour with your trainer? And if she doesn't want to spend an hour with that person, I don't care how good the workouts are. I don't care. Good. If she doesn't want to spend an hour and don't be around that person because they suck. Um, they're not going to stay a client. 
Mike, so you always use, you like to use the line, Coach Boyle's line of certified nice person, right? That's what you have to be first before we teach you anything else. Exactly. Yeah. Certified nice person. Um, so that was, that's kind of like what I looked for is a certain set of values, but I looked at, are they people, people, can they connect with people? Do people want to be around them? Are they likable? Are they cool? Are they fun, exciting? And like, it's just, or are they boring? And if you're boring, you're probably not going to have a great career in the fitness industry. So you just got to, and here's the thing, that skill can be developed too. Go ahead and read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> and then just do that. <laughs> well, I love the fact that you have built a system to that, right? And, and I wish I would have had that system in, in early on in my hiring processes, because a lot of times... And especially when you're the sole owner, you're on a you're on an island, and you're not gonna always get honest uh, feedback from the people around you because you're the boss, and people are just gonna kind of yes you to death. And there was people that I know I brought on that I was bringing them on based on decisions on who I wanted those people to be, and I gave them key roles, but they weren't really those people, right? Because I didn't have a systematic way of of weeding that out. I just saw an image of what I wanted to have in that role. And I try to put this person and make them into that person when they really weren't. Um, so having a systems of, of checks and balances can really help clear that out and, and not let you make those mistakes because that had an impact ultimately on my business. Yeah. And, and I will say this is that we were not able to do that during COVID. Like we were not able to hire like that because of the landscape of the industry and how hard it was to find people. And we were in a position where we needed to find staff and we made decisions um, and we made bad ones. And we made bad ones because we weren't able to, because of the landscape and because of, you know, that we needed to fill a position, right? Um, we made bad decisions and it showed. And you have to always come back to like the success that you've had and why you've had the success. And that's like, you pinpoint it. Right? Why? Well, we hired people that shouldn't have been there. And, you know, obviously we got rid of those people very quickly, but the reality of it was, you know, man, it's just like, it was like clockwork. Like you bring the wrong people on, you, you, you're, you're going to see your business decline for sure. Because that's what it is. It's like, if you, if you can pinpoint, um, a lot of trainer turnover, right? You, you can, it, it, it's almost like this incredible certainty that you're going to have retention issues, right? Now it's trainer turnover is not the end of the world. People are going to move on, right? So I remember, you remember, you know, uh, Joe, who Eric, I know you worked with a lot, one of our trainers back in the day, you know, he was with us for like six or seven years did a great job, but an insurance company came out of the woodwork and offered him a job, you know, making high six figures. And it's like, how do you, you're not going to compete with that, right? So you're going to lose people. There's going to be people that you're going to lose. The key is, can you reload systematically, as you're saying, and reload with the same quality of person? Um, and that that's what I think the key to success is. Now, you brought up some of the challenges of the pandemic, and unfortunately, a lot of 
doors closed um, in our industry after that. But at the same time, there was this interesting thing that happened where there were some businesses that actually went the opposite way. They were busting at the seams. And, and Mike, you were one of them. And I want you to have your kind of share your story a little bit um, in that I think the common thread of the, the places that really did well were the ones who had an incredible sense of community. Uh, within their facility. It wasn't just you went in, you got training sessions and you went home or they had the nicest equipment or the, the nicest layout or amenities. It was the community that was built there that was incredibly strong. So Mike, if you want to talk to skill of strength, and then I want to come back around to, to you, Vince. Yeah. So obviously when, when the pandemic hit, it was, uh, it was tough for everybody, but um, you know, like any dilemma, you can say, oh no, like, woe is me. And you can feel bad for yourself or you can gather the information and make a game plan and, and pivot fast and, and, and do quite well. And for us, once we got the news that we were going to have to to close down, we decided, well, you know what? Um, we went, we sat and we had a, you know, like a Facebook live with our, with all of our members. And we told them what the game plan was. We told them that we'd, we would quickly establish like 25 online classes where we would lead them. Um, we allowed people to come in and grab equipment and take equipment for as long as they needed so they could keep, uh, you know, keep doing their exercises. And what we did is we basically, we were brutally honest and we were just, you know, sharing sort of what our game plan was as the information was made available for us. And I, I think the beauty of it is um, they knew that we were doing everything we could to try to uh, keep the wheels on the bus. And they appreciated that because we were reaching out to people. We were adding things, we were recording videos, we were updating, you know, exercises in our exercise library. And, um, you know, we actually got to a point where it's like, we really, we lost a handful, but I mean, it was crazy because once, once sort of, we, I don't want to say we're out of the pandemic per se, but once they started to open things back up, um, it, it sort of reinvigorated the community. And then we got a bunch of new people. And I think it was, uh, a testament to how we run our business and um, our community and our culture. And that's something that if, if I'm being brutally honest, we didn't, we didn't plan on. We just, we felt like we were always trying to be authentic and, and trying to just share with people and be supportive. So the, the community for us was, was not built intentionally. It kind of happened over time, but I'm grateful that we did build it because um, you know, that was, I think one of the main reasons why we were able to be successful throughout the pandemic and, uh, continue our growth uh, as we kind of work our way out of it. Now, I know the community thing at Gabriel Fitness is certainly not by mistake. And I highly encourage you, if you're ever in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey, um, and you're having a bad day, just pull into Gabriel Fitness and walk in. You know, if you're not going to work out, just walk in and hang out for a couple of minutes and you'll instantly have a better day. And, and that's how I feel every time I've walked in the doors there because there is a different energy there. So kind of tell us about how that became a huge core value for you, Vince. Yeah, no, and great job, Mike, on keeping it rolling. We had a similar, you know, experience uh, to that as well, where your members, like, they want to see you succeed. I often find it's like it was mind-boggling that people were paying the amount of money they were paying per month for Zoom workouts right for air and i i witnessed this for you know a year people are paying four and five hundred dollars a month to work out over zoom in their basement and there's only one thing and one thing only that explains that and that is relationships and relational equity and what mike did what we did over the last 10 years was build that 
relationship equity with the members. And that is through going back and doing the things that I talked about earlier is being people, people, hiring people, people, um, practicing, you know, the, the, the basic tactics of the book, how to win friends, influence people using their names, smiling, all that stuff. Um, all that strengthened the relationship. And I believe that the businesses that didn't have that during COVID, um, were the ones that most likely, uh, well, two things, if, one, if you were just strapped for cash and COVID hit, you're you're screwed, right? You're just, cash is oxygen to a business. If you run out of cash, you run out of business, right? And so, so the, the the two things is like, if, if you were financially strapped coming into COVID, it just kind of knocked you off the ledge, right? But the, which, which begs the question is, you got to be financially savvy in your business. You have to have money. You have to have cash reserves. You have to have an understanding of cash flow and all of that, right? Otherwise, something like COVID is just going to come away and wipe you away so quickly. Like if if someone had money problems going into COVID, um, they, they're most likely, you know, not around, right? So it begs the question for financial savviness, if you will. But the other side of it is the people that didn't have good relationships probably were not able to keep people very long, right? Because who's going to pay $400 for a Zoom workout without them really trusting and having a belief in the person that they're working with? It's a very easy for them to just say no to. I mean, I have this, I have this long-standing joke with myself is there's a, there's a local uh, 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 auto shop where I get my uh, oil changed and I've been going for like six years and I only go because it's the only place in town that I can go and walk to the gym after I drop my car for an oil change. That's the only reason why I go. And every time I go there, I go, you, what do you get your oil changed like three or four times a year or something, right? Six years. So eight, I've been there 18 times plus other times where I've gotten tires fixed and stuff. So I've been there like probably 20 to 30 times. Every time I go, I'm a new person. Every time. What's your name? What's your phone number? Like, it's comical to me. And I almost keep going just to, just because I laugh about it. It's, it's, it's a comical thing to me, right? If a shop opens up next to that shop and an oil change is $40 and theirs is 50, there's not a chance I'm going to stay. Not a chance because I'm client zero every time I go in. Right. And I think that that's what Mike did. That's what many businesses did well is they built an equity through strong relationships in their community and, you know, with their members. And I think that's kind of what uh, enabled people to be successful. Now, I was uh, extremely fortunate and grateful that you let me sit in on one of your um, mastermind groups uh, when you were doing it at your facility about a year or two ago. And not being a facility owner anymore, um, at first I was just kind of curious and I was just kind of window shopping and seeing, okay, I don't know how much of this is going to really even apply to me. And it was, I was really taken aback by how much was really impactful for me, not just um, personally, but professionally and some concepts that I, I I've kind of taken and, um, you, you know, 
uh, quote unquote borrowed that we can that we're using in, in programming like there's there's a thing and, I, and I've been waiting to talk to you about this there was a quote you read from a book at the beginning of the course and you talked about in order for you to become a new person you have to have that old person die where is that from it was from a book that you read to us if you can't remember you can send it to me and we'll we'll post it in the show notes but or, or on one of the posts but like that is an impactful thing for us as trainers to tell people who are looking to change their lives. They want to look better, feel better, perform better. Well, that's going to take some, some things that you need to let go of and you need to not be that former self that got you into this predicament. Um, but then there was also other things personally, like visualization and forecasting and gaining better self-awareness of kind of where you're at and where you want to be. And I think a lot of those skills, I think are incredibly important, even if you're not a facility owner, being able to take that and then trans translate that into, I have this person in front of me who's paying money for me to change their life in some way, shape or form. And can I, tr can I communicate those concepts and create buy-in and rapport and trust by using some of those things that you're teaching to business owners so they can transcend their own, their businesses and facilities. But I think it's much bigger than that, what you're teaching. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I believe that I'm kind of blanking on what you came to. I think it was like our annual planning session. Um, and I, I taught uh, a lot that in that session about visioning. And I think that this is one of the more important points that I can make to anyone really in their life is, is this, is your job is to know how to get from point A to point B, right? Um, but there's a lot of people that don't have clarity on either. So point A is reality. And point A is exactly where you are right now in your life. What your mood and emotions are, what your finances look like, what your business looks like, what your career looks like. That is reality. And a lot of people don't live in reality. They live in emotion land. They live in fantasy land. And the fastest way to, to get make progress is to embrace what is real and what is happening. And that is point A. And then point B is where you want to go. I, I look at it like, um, you know, Oz right? So you have Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, right? And Dorothy and her friends are trying to find Oz, right? Well, good luck finding Oz if you don't know what Oz looks like. And Tom Plummer had a quote that he said to me many years on a consulting call. And he said, if you don't know what you want, no one can help you. And so point B is knowing what you want. And maybe you don't know what you want in 10 years. And that's okay, especially with like COVID and all the stuff. Like most people have gone to more shorter term thinking anyway. But I do think you need to have clarity with where you want to be in 12 months. Right. And so if you want a path or you want something to focus on, it's clarity on where you are right now, point A. Clarity on point B, where do you want to be in 12 months? And the question I ask always people is like, what does success look like for you in 12 months? 
what is success? Define success for me. And a lot of people cannot define success. They don't know what they want. And so that's why they're running in circles. So it's reality, embracing where you are right now, even if that's not where you want to be, that's okay. That's where you are, right? And then having a clear cut picture of where you want to be. And that is point B. And then the middle is the yellow brick road. That's the plan. That's what you're going to do to go from where you are to go from where you want to be. If, if someone needs any success tip, that's it. That's what you focus on first. Otherwise, you're kind of spinning your wheels on. And even if you're like a trainer, just like you're a trainer, all right, I'm maybe I'm doing 10 sessions a week right now. And I want to success for me is I'm doing 30 sessions a week in 12 months time. Okay. How are you going to get there? What are you going to do? What are the things that you're going to do to get there? So that's like, I look at that. That's some of the pieces that we taught in that workshop that you went to Eric, but I look back of, you know, the job of you running your life, whether you own a business, whether you're a trainer, the job of that, no one else can do that for you. No one else can do that for you. No, no business owner can farm this out. You can't delegate this. You can't delegate reality of point B and where you want to point A and where you want to be. That's your job. And that's your job with your life to do that. Yeah. And, and not just glossing over that. And one of the things you made us do is sit down and write, like pick a date in the future and then put like really vivid detail of what's going to happen. I have mine written down and I know, I know exactly what the, the, the date, when it's going to happen and you know, who I'm going to be, the things I'm able to do, the people I'm surrounded by, what, you know, what precipitates leading up to that day, all those things are very vivid. And I think we gloss over that not only personally, but if you're a trainer and, you know, someone comes in and they say, Hey, I want to lose five pounds. We're like, okay, great. Let's go. Let's just show you a bunch of exercises as opposed to saying, okay, well, why five? Not how come not four? Why not six? Right. And then what happens at those five pounds? What can you now do with the five pounds off? And you start peeling that back a little bit and, and you can really discover the why of why they're there. Um, and that's really what's going to make that, that, that relationship connect to where they're, they're understanding that you're really there for them. And this is not about you. And you're going to teach them a bunch of fancy exercises that, you know, because of all the fancy letters after your name. Um, and I think that's incredibly important is to challenge people a little bit more. And we have a section in our course called the key questions. And we, we, we want you to dig a little bit more than just have them check. Yes. You know, yes, yes, no, no, no. On their medical history, sign it off and say, all right, let's go work out. Um, that's, that's going to be a very fleeting relationship at best. Um, so I, I think that's impactful. Um, Mike, before we, we wrap up, what kind of questions or, or last thoughts would you like to add on to that? Well, you know, as someone, I've been in the news, in the industry for 20 years and have, have had a business for 11. And, um, you know, if there's any advice that I can give to a lot of people that are, you know, looking to get in the fitness industry, whether they're going to be a personal trainer or eventually own a business, um, you can do what we did, which was learn the hard way over the course of a decade and make mistakes and try to fix them. And we, you know, we, luckily my wife has a good business brain and we've been able to, uh, you know, to do okay with it. But um, if I were to do it all again, I think the first thing I would have done was call someone like Vince and be like, Hey, let's, let's try to get this, uh, 
you know, let's try to get this right kind of from the get go, because um, while we did learn on the fly um, and it and it worked, it's it's just not the it's it's a very risky way to run a business learning on the uh, learning on the fly. And and I think if you can have someone like Vince uh, early on, just guide you on how to make better decisions early on and 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 really learn from the mistakes that we've all made as business owners, I think is is super important. And uh, and I feel like that's where a lot of this stuff is born of born out of like like Eric, one of the things we talk about in our courses a big thing we want to do is teach you guys this stuff early because we made all these mistakes. And, and a lot of the times the courses that we create are based off of the mistakes that we've made. So, um, you know, uh, the, the stuff that Vince is putting out there is, is fantastic. And, um, um, again, I, I wish I could have had that early on. That would have been <laughs> a little bit easier than just running around like a moron seven days a week and training everybody and anybody. So uh, as we wrap up, I want to thank you for your time, Ben, but kind of tell us a little bit about, I know you, you, you're not somebody that sits on, on his laurels uh, and, and uh, you know, and cruises. So tell me what you got coming up in 2023 and what new and exciting things can we expect from you? Um, the, the, my biggest project for the year is writing a book for my kids and um, I'm, I have three kids uh, and I want to, you know, every day I try to live in a way that's going to guide them to live better lives. So a lot of it is your example, but some of it is what you um, leave them. Um, and so I'm recording all my life inspiration lessons into a book. And my goal for the year is to finish that book for them. And then the, uh, the second project is um, I'm working with a publisher right now to write uh, more of a main, I wouldn't say mainstream, but it's, it's a, it'll be my first real published book. Mo all my other books uh, are self published, and I use them for essentially to get people interested and to take the next step into our coaching programs. Um, but this book will be more of, a, you know, a how to guide to run a gym. Um, and I believe that my goal is that it stays in the backpack of every gym owner in America, that this is a resource that they will be able to go to for um, forever. It will be a time-tested book, so there will be nothing in there that, like, will expire. Um, and so it's my it will be my flagship book in the fitness industry um, that I'm working on as well. So those are the two big projects um, I've got this year. That is awesome. Congratulations on all that and everything you've been able to accomplish and, and all the many years that I've, that I've known you. And it's, it's great to call you a friend and, you know, maybe one day I'll be the seventh guy on that list that you could tell you love. <laughs> <laughs> but want to thank everybody for listening. This has been episode 27 of the principles of performance podcast. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. 
If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.